0: Well, good morning, my name is Tom, and if we've never met, I would love to meet you. After the service, I'll be right up here in the front. Please come and introduce yourself. I would love that. And today, I'd like to open by reading some of the words of Jesus, and it's because I believe that they contain some very relevant information for us today, and it's my hope that at the end of our time together today, you would believe that too. So listen now as I read them. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Could anyone use a little more rest? Yeah, me too. Friends, we need rest and we know it. Come to me, Jesus says, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Here, Jesus is inviting all, everyone, Each person who is weary, growing tired from too much labor, and exhausted from carrying the burdens of this life that are too heavy to bear, Jesus invites all who find themselves in that position to come to him. Weary and carrying heavy burdens. It sounds like he's talking to us, doesn't it? Did you know stress is a problem in America? It's true. Last year, the American Psychological Association did a survey of Americans, of us, and uh, what they found can be summarized pretty simply. We're stressed out. It's crazy. And it's not just adults, it's kids and teenagers, too. Teenagers, you guys are stressed. It's a problem. And what's the source of our stress? Why are we so stressed? I'm sure we could make a list. Or maybe your list is your source of stress, right? Well, the APA identified the top five sources of stress in America. Work, money, politics, violence and crime, and the future of our country. I'm certain that everyone in the room can relate to at least one of those five. Maybe for you it's work. You have worked hard to get where you are, and so now you work even harder. You don't just put in 40, but 50, 60, 70 hours a week with a long commute on either end. And when you come home at night from your job or jobs, you're exhausted. You need rest. Or maybe it's the reason you're at work so long. It's money. There's some uncertainty about the market, but there's possibly some good news about the economy. Did you know the Department of Labor Tells us that the unemployment rate is at its lowest point since 1969. There's lots of people working and that's good news. But dig a little bit deeper and you find out that wage growth isn't keeping pace. And the standard of the cost of living, rather, only ever goes one direction, up. It's harder and harder to achieve the level of financial security you'd like or simply to make ends meet. And so you go back to the first source of stress. You work and you work and you work, you need rest. Or maybe you turn on the news, or you open a newspaper. Kids, ask your parents what those are. (laughs) And you're assaulted with a barrage of information about the latest shooting. Did you know there was one yesterday at a synagogue in Pittsburgh? It's heartbreaking or it's the political protest turned violent, or it's the widening chasm between the two dominant parties in D.C. who seem unable or unwilling even to work together. And so you fear, maybe even legitimately fear, for the future of our nation. You need rest. And as I listen to friends right here in this community, they often share of the demands of work of raising children, of managing the requirements of school, they feel like they're going at an unsustainable pace, they're weary, they're bearing heavy burdens, carrying too much, and when they're honest, they're uncertain about how they're going to keep going. Friends, we need rest, and we know it. Yet, our strategies for rest are not working You see, we know we need rest both physically and mentally to restore our bodies and minds so that we can keep going. So we come up with strategies for how to do that. And let me tell you, there is no shortage of strategies for rest. Do a Google search. Type in how to lower my stress. You will get 781 million options for how to do that. Okay, let's say you're really, really serious. You're actually going to get to the bottom of this and lower your stress. You know that you're going to have to cut through the chaff to get to the kernel. So there's bound to be some fluff in there. You take on 10 per day. I'm going to get through 10 results per day. It would only take you 214 years to go through the results that the Internet will give you for how to lower your stress. Good luck with that one. Now, don't get me wrong. There are lots of good strategies out there for getting some physical and mental rest. Maybe you decide to take a day off from work. That's good. Maybe you do something you find relaxing. You play golf. You go for a walk. You play music. You listen to music. These are all good things. Maybe you even take a vacation. Wonderful. These are all good. Maybe you're even familiar with the ancient practice of resting called Sabbath. In Jesus' day, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, they knew from their scriptures, which we now call the Old Testament, that God God, in his sovereignty and omnipotence, having created the entire universe, stopped. And that's the root of the word for Sabbath, is to stop or cease. God stopped to rest. Certainly not because he needed it, but to set us an example that we should rest one day a week. It's actually an act of faith to trust that God in his provision will give us what we need in six days of work to live for seven. Maybe some of you practice a Sabbath and that's wonderful. Tell your friends about it. Encourage them to try it. You should try it. We all should. It would be good for us to put aside all of the obligations and responsibilities for one day a week just to rest. It will be so good for us to do that. You'll get some much needed rest. And yet, Whatever strategies we are trying to get the physical and mental rest we need, the evidence actually suggests that they're not working. In our society, it's not just stress, but anxiety which is on the rise. Earlier this year, the other APA, the American Psychiatric Association, did a poll of Americans, and they found some pretty startling results. It turns out nearly 4 in 10 of us have more anxiety this year than we did in 2017. It's a problem. It doesn't start there. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America reports that about 18 percent of us, nearly one in five, have an anxiety disorder. And it's worse for teenagers. 25 percent of teenagers today have an anxiety disorder. Anxiety is on the rise. And for all of our strategies to rest, it turns out we're not sleeping. Adults We need between seven and eight hours a night. Yet, the average is below seven. Teenagers, you guys need nine plus hours a night. Nine plus. I would bet none of you get nine hours of sleep a night. I hear all the time from high school students about how they're frequently up till 12, 1, 2 a.m. with their homework. We're not getting enough rest. Our strategies aren't working, and sadly, it is no secret that with all of this mounting stress and anxiety, depression has become an epidemic in our country, and we know all too well what the hopelessness of depression can do to a soul. It's heartbreaking. Our strategies for physical and mental rest are not working and the reason they are not working is because they alone can never provide the deeper rest, the lasting rest, the soul rest that we all need. Look again with me at Jesus' invitation to find our rest in him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying Heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What Jesus offers us is more than a temporary relief from the burden we're carrying. It's more than a short-term physical or mental rest. What he offers us is rest in your soul. It's the opportunity to know at the very center of your being to know and experience true rest. This is what he offers and it's what we all need. So what is it exactly and how do we get it? What is it? Consider for a moment a soul at unrest. A soul at unrest is a person who has been wronged by another person and is harboring bitterness against them because they don't deserve to be forgiven. And that bitterness robs the relationship of any intimacy it might otherwise have had. That's a soul at unrest. But a soul at rest is when that person knowing that Jesus came to forgive us even though we don't deserve it, chooses to forgive even though it's hard and the bitterness melts away. That's a soul at rest. A soul at unrest is being caught up in the endless quest to make everything around you perfect with impossible expectations that you'll never achieve and you're running and running and running and strangling the life out of you. That's a soul at unrest. But a soul at rest knows that there is no perfection. No one is truly perfect except for the only perfect one, Jesus himself, and he accepts us despite our imperfections. So you can put some of those impossible expectations down. It's a soul at rest. A soul at unrest is struggling day after day, to keep going because it seems like this life is empty. You can't find the meaning and you're starting to wonder if there's even a purpose for it all. But a soul at rest is knowing that life does in fact have a purpose because Jesus says it does. And he has invited you, to join his mission and discover a rest which begins today and extends forever. It's an eternal rest where we will be in the presence of God and where he will wipe away every tear and where death will be no more and where mourning and crying and pain will cease for they will have passed away. When you boil it down, A soul at rest is knowing that whatever happens, whatever comes your way, it's going to be okay. And that is captured so perfectly by an old hymn called It Is Well For My Soul. And I want to share just a little bit about this song. It was actually written in 1873 by a successful Chicago businessman named Horatio Spafford. Isn't that a great name? Any expecting parents out there? (laughs) Horatio. (laughs) Think about it. So despite being 145 years old, this song has proven itself to be rather timeless. It's constantly being remade by singers and artists and groups. You can find many versions of it online. And I think the reason for its timelessness is that the song captures the very essence of what it is to be at rest in your soul. Listen now as I read the first verse of that song. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The songwriter beautifully and succinctly conveys that in both times of peace, like a smooth river, and in times of sorrow, like raging seas, whatever comes his way, it is well with his soul. Don't we want to be able to say that? Yeah, we do. Yet, no amount of physical or mental rest alone, no hobby, no vacation, not even a Sabbath rest can give you that. So how do you get it? How do we receive this promised rest for our souls? Look again with me at Jesus' words in Matthew 11, and let's see what he instructs. Come to me. This is the first step. Come to me. But what does that mean? Let's break it down. I want to put it into two parts for us. The first may seem very obvious, but it's to come. So what does that mean? Well, in Jesus' day, it would have been a little bit easier to come to him. You could physically approach him. We don't have that physical proximity. But thankfully, I don't think this invitation is just physical. It's more than that. Throughout Jesus' life, We can read in the accounts of it, known as the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we can see that he was constantly inviting people to come to him. He was inviting them to come to him, to trust him, to put their faith in him, and to follow him. And to put your faith in him means to believe that he is who he says he is. He is the one whom God has sent to save us, to forgive us, to rescue us, to restore our relationship with God. And to follow him is to decide that where Jesus goes, I will go. And what Jesus does, I will do. And how Jesus lives, I will live. I will follow him with my life. So this invitation to come is an invitation to do just that, to decide to trust him and follow him. Come, he says. And the second part is to me, Come to me. In other words, don't go anywhere else. Come to the one place, to me. For everywhere else doesn't work. I have the authority and the ability to give you the rest in your souls that you are searching for and you won't find it elsewhere. So coming to Jesus then is accepting that every other option out there, every other thing we pursue strategy we employ will never amount to more than a temporary rest. They won't give us the sole rest that we're seeking and which we so desperately need. That is only found in Jesus. So in summary, coming to Jesus is the decision to trust that he is exactly who he says he is, that he can give exactly what he says he can give, believe that he is the one who came to save us and to make us right with God so that we can have peace with God and find rest for our souls, believe that he came to save you. Come to me, Jesus says. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 29, take my yoke. Upon you. Now, stay with me here. What is a yoke? A yoke is a piece of wood that has been carved to fit on an animal like an ox to enable that animal to pull a very heavy load like a cart or a plow. Essentially, it's an instrument of work. Now, why on earth would Jesus' invitation to rest also include an invitation to pick up an instrument of work? We don't need more work. We need to rest. We don't need a yoke. We need a nap. (laughs) Nevertheless, his invitation to rest includes taking his yoke. And if we're going to find rest in our souls, then this is absolutely a part of it. So let's dig into this together and find out what this means. Take my yoke. In Jesus' day, people would have been familiar with the physical yoke for oxen But they also would have been familiar with the metaphorical yoke, and the metaphorical yoke was often used to describe the requirements of their religious law. And to take the yoke was an act of submission, to submit to the teaching of that law, it's an act of submission. The problem though is that in Jesus' day, the yoke became too heavy to bear the religious leaders had imposed additional requirements on top of the law, which made it impossible to follow. And so, attempting to take the yoke, attempting to follow the law, had become exceedingly burdensome. It had become too much to carry. Now, you and I probably aren't wearing that yoke, but what is the yoke that you wear? You have one. What is it? Is it the demands of your work? Is it the schedules of your kids? Is it the requirements of your school? Is it the family situation you find yourself in? Whatever it is, it's heavy. It's a lot to carry. Now we might expect, or maybe we would wish, that Jesus would say, throw off the yoke. Or I'll take the yoke away completely. But he doesn't say that instead he says here's another yoke here's a better yoke in fact here is my yoke here is the work that i have for you to do did you know jesus has work for you to do it's true all throughout jesus's life and ministry jesus was gathering people together He was inviting them to come to him so that he could help them grow as his followers with one purpose in mind, that they would then go out into the world and show him to other people. And he presents us with the same task. Let us come to him so we can grow to follow him, so we can go out into the world to show him to others. All around us are people who need to hear about Jesus. Friends, this is our yoke. This is our work. If anyone comes to Jesus, the next step is to take on this yoke, to submit to him, and to accept the work that he has for us to do. And if we take that step, then we'll have to take this next one too. From verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. If we're going to come to Jesus and take on this yoke of growing and going, then we'll have to learn from him. And how do we do that? Have you ever wished you could just go back in time and live one day in the life of the disciples? Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, what would you see? Just imagine that. Sadly, I don't have a time machine. I haven't found that on Amazon yet. If you do, let me know. Maybe you work for Amazon, you could start working on that. Sadly, we'll probably never get to experience that. I don't think we will. But we do have the gift of reading about him. We can read what it was like to be with Jesus through the words that his disciples wrote down. And if you read their words, here's just a little bit about what you'll learn from Jesus. You'll learn that very early, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus prayed. He had a prayer life. He prayed to his Heavenly Father. And if we learn from him, this is one of the things we'll learn. We'll also learn, if we read about him, that he had studied and memorized God's Word. He could memorize Scripture. And in a moment of need, he called that Scripture to memory to combat the temptations of the enemy. Jesus new scripture. And if we learn from him, that's one of the things we'll learn. We'll also learn that he surrounded himself with good friends, people that he lived life with in both the joys and the sorrows, and people that he kept close to him and entrusted with this mission that God had for them. He kept his friends close, and if we learn from him, that's one of the things we'll learn. But we'll also learn that you and I, we can also be counted among those friends Those entrusted by Jesus to do the work that he has for us to do and to join him in his mission on the earth, to take his yoke upon us, we'll learn that as well. And this, he says, is what that yoke is like. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, as we've seen already, Jesus doesn't come and take all of our work away. It's not that the burdens completely disappear, much as we would like them to. It's that they change. And they change for the better. Let's focus in on that one word, easy. We would be remiss to think that all we have to do is come to Jesus and then everything gets easy. Jesus never promises that. In fact, much of what he asks his followers to do is extremely difficult. Love the Lord your God, he says, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Love him with everything you've got. Don't hold anything back from him. Does that sound easy? He also says, love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, your neighbor includes the people that you don't want to love or maybe even those that you could hate. Not exactly easy. He says, if any want to become my followers, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. This is hard stuff. Jesus never promises it to be easy, but what he does promise can be found beneath this word that we read in our English translation as easy. It comes from a Greek word which can also mean good, useful, and superior for a particular purpose or use. In other words, the yoke that Jesus gives you is a good yoke. It's a useful yoke. It's a superior yoke for the particular purpose for which it was meant. It's a well-fitting yoke. And the reason is that it fits you so well, is that it was made for you. And in fact, you were made for it. You were made for this yoke, for the work, the mission that Jesus has for you to do. You were made for it. And this, right here, this is the answer that we have been looking for. It's the destination of our quest to find rest for our souls when we come to Jesus and take his yoke and we learn from him, when we join in his mission and do the good work that he has for us to do, even though it is hard, the burden will be easier to bear. And we will be able to bear it because it's Jesus who's given it to us to carry. And it's his purpose for us in this life. It's what we were made for. And right there, that is where you find rest. For your souls. It's living the life and doing the work that you were made for, which is the work and the mission of Jesus. And in so doing, you discover the meaning, his meaning, his purpose for your life so that you can carry the load you're carrying and yet have rest in your soul. Is that it? Can this really be true? What about when life isn't hard? It's crushing. What about when your dreams die or your hopes which you had been keeping aflame have been snuffed out forever? Where then is the yoke that is easy? Where then is the burden that is light? Where then is the rest for my soul. This cannot be true. For many of us, this will feel quite false. Do you remember the hymn? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. If we are in that place of sorrow and of not finding any rest, we may be tempted to think, of course the song says that. It was written by a Christian, and Christians are supposed to say these things. This guy, Horatio or whoever he was, was in business. He was a lawyer. He probably lived a charmed life. He probably never tasted the sorrows I've tasted or bore the burdens that I bear. Enough of this romantic fantasy that sounds lovely but doesn't do any justice to the reality of living life in the real world. It cannot be true. Horatio Spafford and his wife, Anna, had five children. Their youngest, a son, was taken by pneumonia, a tragedy that we cannot even begin to imagine unless we have lost a child, as some of you have. After this tragedy, two years went by, and the family decided to vacation in Europe. Anna and the four girls... Boarded an ocean liner destined for England. Horatio stayed home. He had to tend to the business, but just for a few days. He planned to join them within the week. And then, four days into this transatlantic trip, the unthinkable happened. This ocean liner collided with another ship, and within 12 minutes, it was sunk, carrying with it most of the souls aboard. Anna somehow managed to cling to a piece of floating wreckage, and miraculously she was picked up by a lifeboat as it went by. Safe at last in England, she wired a telegram to her husband, saved alone. Horatio did what he had to do. He boarded the next ship, longing to be reunited to his wife in their grief as soon as possible, and it was on that voyage, on that ship, as he crossed over the same waters that had claimed his four daughters, the very same rolling sea billows, which were his source of sorrow, it was on that ship, that voyage, that he penned this hymn. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Friends, there is rest for your soul. Come to Jesus. Trust him. Put your faith in him. Believe that he has come to save you and to give you this rest. And then take his yoke Join him in his mission and learn from him and do the work that he has made you to do. Discover his purpose for you and then through this work, his work, you will be able to carry it because you were made for it and then he will give you rest for your soul. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, this morning... My prayer is simple. I pray that you would help us come to you and you alone for our rest. And Lord, I pray that if anyone here this morning has not come to you, that today would be the day that they come to you in faith and trust you and take on this yoke and learn from you and discover the rest that you have promised, the rest in our souls which we all so desperately need, which begins today and goes into eternity forever in the presence of God Almighty. Lord, would today be the day that people choose to come to you? In Jesus' name.